Sometimes we need to go back to Sunday school. Remember that song that you learned in Sunday school? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Oh, there's a little phrase in that, in that song, little ones to him belong. How's the rest of that go? Little ones to him belong. <laughs> Whenever I heard that song, I remember my oldest boy, when he was like a year old, maybe a year and a half old, he learned that, and he couldn't say strong. He said krong. And he did it with such enthusiasm. He would sing, and we would get him to sing it over and over again. Little ones to him. And we are listening, he's singing. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is Kong. He does sing it that way. It's kind of weird. <laughs> Sometimes it's good to go back to Sunday school. That is a very, very powerful idea. We are weak. He is strong. When it comes to praying, you almost never meet a Christian who goes, who's satisfied with their prayer life. You almost never meet a, a Christian who says, I, I've grown about all I can grow in prayer. I'm pretty much in prayer graduate school. And every once in a while you'll meet somebody who's had a rich, deep experience with God in prayer, and they're, they're eager to talk to you about that. And I saw a guy like that yesterday. You could tell. He just wanted to pray. He wanted to get people to pray. And he wanted to talk about prayer. But he wouldn't be your average Christian, now would he? Probably wouldn't even be your average pastor. Most of us feel like, well, one of the things I'd really like to improve on is my prayer, the way I pray, and the frequency with which I pray, and the passion with which I pray, and I could really grow in that. And most of you would probably agree with me. That's an area where you're kind of weak. Maybe some of you would say, I'm kind of weak in that area. And I want to tell you why I think that is. I think it's because we don't understand ourselves and we don't understand God. If we really, really understand ourselves and we really, really understand God, then the most natural thing in the world would be to ask Him for help. Charles Spurgeon uh, and no, no message is really probably all that valuable unless I quote Spurgeon in it somewhere. Uh, he, Spurgeon once preached a sermon, and, and the sermon was on an interesting topic. His, his text, um, he got to his text in a funny way. It was what he called his Robinson Crusoe's text. Let me read you how Spurgeon started his message. Robinson Crusoe has been wrecked. He is left on a desert island all alone. His case is a very pitiable one. He goes to his bed. He's smitten with fever. His fever lasts upon him long, and he has no one to wait upon him, not even to bring him a drink of cold water. He's ready to perish. He'd been accustomed to sin and had all the vices of a sailor, but his hard case brought him to drink. He opens a Bible, which he finds in a chest, and he lights upon the passage, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. And that night he prays. He prays for the first time in his life. And ever after there was in him a hope in God, which marked the birth of heavenly life. Robinson Crusoe's text is Psalm 50 and verse 15. It's God's way of getting glory for himself. Pray to me, I will deliver you. And the result will be, you will glorify me. Spurgeon's explanation is penetrating. God 
and the praying man their shares. First, here's your share. Call upon me in the day of trouble. Secondly, there's God's share. I will deliver thee. And again, you take a share, for you it will be delivered. You shall be delivered. And then again, it's the Lord's turn. And thou shalt glorify me. Here is a compact, a covenant that God enters into with you who pray to him and whom he helps. He says, you shall have the deliverance, but I shall have the glory. Here's a delightful partnership. We obtain that which we greatly need, and God gets the glory that is due to his name. This is the way God works. We're weak. He's strong. We fall on desperate circumstances. We call out to Him. He hears us. Then we glorify Him. That's the way the Christian life is supposed to work. But we, we tend to say, I'll do everything I can. I may be weakened, but I still have some resources. There's something I can do. And I, I know there are good people, and God will answer their prayers. But will God really answer my prayers? Does He really answer prayers of common people like me? There is in this great uh, Westminster Catechism, you know what a catechism is, we Baptists don't do that very often, but it's not a bad idea, it's kind of like an FAQ on doctrine, uh, uh, frequently asked questions about God and the Bible, and the Westminster Catechism, as you probably, some of you are aware, the first question is, what's the chief end of man? Why am I here? What's the chief end of man? And the answer, of course, is the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Well, how do you do that? How do you glorify God? And what does that mean? It would seem like they, they go together. If you're glorifying God, then you're going to be really happy. You're going to be really satisfied. You're going to be really joyful. How can those two things go together? They can't. They can't go together unless prayer is in there somewhere. I want to show you that. Take your Bibles and we're going to spend some time in the book of John. And I want you to see in John... Chapter 14 and verse 13. I want you to notice how glorifying God and prayer are connected. Then I'm going to show you how being joyful or fulfilled or happy and prayer are connected. Get it? Glory, glorifying God and, and prayer are connected. We really aren't going to glorify God without some kind of prayer being involved. And that's what you're here for, to glorify God. And you're never going to be genuinely happy, joyful, unless you, you pray. And I'll show you that here in the Gospel of John. Now I'm looking here at John 14, verse 12, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I will do, do, he will do also in greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And when you read that verse, you, if you're like I am, you think, wow, how can that possibly be true? That seems such a grand promise. Whatever you ask in my name, there's this little caveat there, in my name, and, the, and it's really kind of critical that we understand. What does it mean, in my name? And we'll talk about that some other time. But the thing that I will want to point out today, if you don't mind just setting aside that question for a while, notice that prayer and glorifying God are connected. And we're here to glorify God. But what does it mean to glorify God? Well, it's the glory of God that saves us. It's the glory of God that sanctifies us. How does that work? It has it, what it, the way it works is is really spiritual seeing. It's spiritual sight. We're all spiritually blind. We're born to the world spiritually blind. And then the God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to to, to display the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So when 
what Jesus, who Jesus is and what Jesus did dawns on us and we see it in our spiritual eyes and it makes sense to us, that's how you come to know the Lord as your Savior. The lights go on spiritually and you see who Jesus is. So you admire Jesus and you love Jesus. You love Him for all that He's done. You love Him for His creative work. You love Him for His tolerance and His mercy. But you love Him most of all. You love Jesus most of all when you look on Calvary, when you see, the, the, when you see God in the face of Jesus Christ. And immediately the Scriptures are always talking about Calvary. And so that's why over and over Christians make much of the cross. They make much of the gospel. They make much of Calvary. Because it's there that we see Jesus for who He really is. And the seeing of Jesus is so transforming, that's how we get saved. And the glory is the, is the light, it's the essence, it's the display of all that God is, and it's especially well displayed in the, work of Je- in the person of Jesus, and it's especially well displayed in the work of Jesus, and it's especially well displayed in the work of Jesus on Calvary, on the cross. That's why we're constantly singing about the cross. And we can't think about the cross and what Jesus did too often because it's there that He is fully displayed for who He is, the very God of the universe, come in human flesh, living a sinlessly perfect life, dying for our sins, being buried, rising again, and interceding on our behalf at the right hand of the Father. To see that should capture our affection, capture our hearts. And that also then, that's how we get saved. That's also how, and you you may think, Pastor, I think I've heard you talk about this before. Yeah, and you are going to hear me talk about this again. I'm never going to stop talking about this. I'm going to repeat it over and over and over and over again. I don't know how long I get to be your pastor. Hopefully a long time. I don't know. The Lord knows how long we're all going to be here. But I will say, as long as I'm here, I'm going to sing this song, and I'm going to use a bunch of different melodies. I'm going to sing the same song over and over again. That's That's a common law of teaching. Repetition. I want to burn this into your mind so that you get this idea. And that is, I'm believing this, and I feel like, you know, up in Higgins Lake, there's a beautiful place. My brother passes up there. It's one of the beautiful places in Michigan. You've got Higgins Lake and you have Houghton Lake, Houghton and Higgins. And on Higgins Lake, the top, the, the north end of Higgins Lake, there's a state park. And there's a great place, a big, there's a wonderful beach and a great place to swim. Any of you ever been there? Raise your hand. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure, of course, you're Michigan people. Now, you start wading into the water. And what's kind of neat is that that beach goes out in the water maybe the length of three football fields. You can just you can keep wading, wading out. You can take a little child there, and you can wade out of that water, and you can play in water, a, you know, a knee-deep or thigh-deep or waist-deep or whatever. You can go way, way out, and it's so clear. You can see clear to the bottom. It's a beautiful lake, and it's a beautiful place to swim. And when I think about the glory of God, I feel like I'm kind of like back in a in a beach chair back here kind of looking out there, and I know it's beautiful. Maybe every once in a while I feel like I get my toes in the water. It's true with prayers, true with maybe all the Christian privileges and disciplines. To be very honest about myself, I know that Jesus is beautiful. I know his glory is wonderful. But I'm kind of seeing it from a long way away. In my own personal experience, of course, when we're not in our glorified state yet, all of us are kind of like we're, we're, we're tasting, we're seeing, we're getting our toes, maybe we're getting in knee-deep into the glory of God. It's like your entire life, you can wade in deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into all that Jesus is in his beauty, and he has the capacity, the ability to so capture your heart that it not only will save you, but it's that is the thing that sanctifies or makes us stop sinning. I believe this. I believe this is what the scriptures teach, and I'm banking on this. I'm gambling on this. I'm counting on this to be true. Only because I'm ta- I, I taste a little appetizer of it, not because I've kind of 
you know, dug in and elbows flying and eating the steak. I'm like back, and I know this is true because I've tasted it. It is when I see the beauty of the Lord Jesus and how wonderful He is and how good He is. That, that's when I don't yield to sin because it's, all sin is at the core replacing God with something else. It's at the core. It's idolatry, right? Really, when you think about it, all sin, at the core of it, it's like I've chosen this over God. All sin is that way, right? Human heart is an idol factory. And so what we make idols or God replacements... And so, in other words, if that's true, then isn't worship the key to sanctification? Does that make sense? When I value Jesus, when I see how beautiful He is, then why do I have to have five pieces of chocolate cake? If I'm totally satisfied with Jesus, then why do I have to give vent to my anger against the people that I love to get them to do what I want them to do? I'm like, obviously, somebody got an idol in the way here. Make sense? Right? If I'm seeing the beauty of the face of Jesus Christ, why would I have to look at internet pornography? You know, and then you wake up in the morning and you're guilty and you feel sad and you feel bad and defiled. And the beauty of the Lord Jesus' face would never make you feel that way. Right? Am I right? Why would I do any of those things? Why would you do any of those things? If I really, unless I lose my grip, if I lose my, my gaze on Jesus is drawn away to something else. And so you see, the, the one who made light shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to reveal the glory of God, who He is. And, and this glory is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And so what I just talked to you about there a little bit is like a theology of glory. I want to talk about that over and over again because I think, obviously, it's because of God, who God is, and us seeing who God is spiritually that saves us, and it's seeing who God is that continually brings us to be more like Him and sanctifies us. I hope this is making sense to you. And we've got to keep going at this from a whole bunch of different angles because this is, I believe... Let me say something here. This is kind of like in-house talk, but I'll just tell you this. I think it, it hit me here, and maybe it be a good time to tell you this. There are kind of two basic ways you could kind of run a church, you know. We all know what good Christian people are supposed to look like, right? Right? We have our ideas. At least we have our prejudices. You know, this is what a good Christian person looks like. This is how they act, what they do. Now, how are we going to get them to do that? You know, our tendency is to say, well, we'll tell them they have to do that. We'll say, that's the rules. The rules, here's the rules. Or we point, or we, we point them out in the Bible. Even in the Bible, we just say, look them up, man. Here are the references. Look up. This is what it's supposed to look like. You don't do this. You don't do that. You don't wear this. Don't wear, don't, you don't not wear that. You don't say this. You don't not say this. You go here. You don't go there. You get a big bunch of, of rules, and then you torque on people to get them. You badger them, or you make them feel really bad. You tell them sad stories, whatever. Or, or, you, or you maybe build a system, and you plug them into the system, and you say, you've got to do this and this and this. And what you could do, and I've seen this done, maybe some of you have seen it, you could line a whole bunch of people up that look so fine. They're all dressed in uniform. They just look fine. And they just, and you just look at you and say, now that is what it's supposed to look like. And maybe for a short period of time, you can kind of like manipulate or torque them or pressure them into kind of behaving in what looks like a Christian way. Folks, this isn't somebody else I'm talking about. I'm talking about our very Christian homes can be exactly like this. We say, Johnny, you should not hear your sister. Now you stop hitting your sister. So Johnny says, you know, if my dad, if I hit my sister, my dad's going to beat me down. So I'm not going to hit her anymore. Jesus is nowhere in that picture. The gospel is nowhere in that picture. Nowhere in that picture. 
Except maybe early on when you say you shouldn't have done that, you appeal to their conscience. And so they're going, so how do I stop beating my sister? Because it's so fun to beat my sister. How do I stop? I mean, everything in me wants to beat my sister. Why? How do I stop that? Now we're getting to the gospel. You see, everything should draw that little critter to the gospel. So like, you know, you are bad. Remember the worm a few weeks ago, the worm thing? You are a bad. Yes, it's right. It's true. There is a God, and he isn't happy with sin. He's very unhappy with sin. You have sin, so you have a problem. See you in the morning, buddy. But mommy, I can't sleep. Good. You want to talk about it? And then you take them to the cross. But we could, we could manipulate a whole bunch of behavior that looks right. But a person could actually burn and waste a whole lot of their life and their time looking Christian but not being Christian. How do I be Christian? And how in a church could our church be filled with people who are progressively becoming more like the light and the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ that cannot be legislated, it cannot be demanded, it cannot be manipulated. It's got to be inspired by the living God. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that we all with open face beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, we are transformed, changed into the same image from one level of glory to another. This is the work of the Spirit of the Lord. That's a free quote of 2 Corinthians 3.18. That's what you want to have happen in your family. That's what you want to have happen in your life. Your kids, they may look this way, they may talk that way, they may be kind of rough edges, but listen, we need to be in progress getting them, inspiring them to see the beauty of Jesus Christ. Then they will lay personal, they'll make personal restrictions upon themselves out of great love and loyalty to Jesus Christ. That's what we want to see happen. Now, but none of this happens. The interesting thing about this is, I think you believe this to be true. And God is taking you there kind of the rough way, right? Same with me. But what's interesting is there's an element we don't often talk about that's in here everywhere in some form or another. And it almost, this stuff never happens unless this element is there. It is that element that we point out here when we say we glorify God by reflecting his likeness into our world. In other words, we're like the good things about God, the communicable attributes of God show up in our life. It's like we're a mirror reflecting those things then. And so when we act in a godly way, then he's glorified because people see him in us. Get it? But what's interesting is it says, but you can't glorify me without what? Did you lose track of where I was headed? You did. But without prayer. Thank you, Pastor. You're all over this. You can't do that without prayer. And that's what it says there in John. And, and there's also this nagging sense of, wow, that's too bad because, you know, from the littlest time I was a little kid, I always wanted to be happy. But I guess if it's, I, I have to glorify God and that's be my main thing, I guess my happiness is kind of like, well, that's just not important. I guess I'll be dour then. I guess I'll just suffer through this thing. I'll muddle through. I'll, I'll set aside all those worldly pleasures that would really have made me so much happier. And I'll go over here and join the long-faced Baptist who can't do anything, people. Go to church all the time, not watch anything fun on TV. I'm not going to talk about American Idol right now. I'm not going to touch that. Watch anything I want to watch on TV, listen to weird music, dress funny. You know, that's, I guess, what I'll have to do. Instead of being happy, I guess I'll glorify God. Right? Now, let's see if that's true. Look in John 16 and verse 24. Jesus who made life, before he's ready to go to the heaven, he says uh, in verse, uh, he, he says, uh, 
John 16 and verse 19, Jesus knew what they were asking him. And excuse me for breaking in the middle of this passage. Are you inquiring among yourselves what I said a little while and you will not see me? And again a little while and you'll, you'll see me? Most assuredly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. He's going, let me tell you, the only way to get to joy is through the back door. He's saying, you get to joy through the back door. It's not what you think. It's not you grab, you know, go for the gold ring, go for the gusto, you know, immerse yourself in sensual pleasures or immerse yourself in the pleasure of religion and go at it that way. No, no, no. That's not the path to joy. He said you're going to weep first and you're going to come in the back door. Right? That's what he's saying. He says like this. He says, verse 21, a woman, when she's in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. I've seen it happen. That doesn't look happy. Right? It doesn't look happy. She's not happy. I'll never forget the first time I saw this, and I don't want to say too much. It wouldn't be appropriate, but I literally thought, oh, Lord, I love this girl, this little girl that's going through this, and I don't know if this is going to work. I think she might die. And she said, I think I'm going to die. You know, I don't want to say too much. You can't tell those stories, but it was really an awful thing. It was awful. It was sad and sorrowful. She's just crying and praying. I shouldn't say this, but I'm like in the middle of this. This nurse says to me, you know, you're not really helping much. Let's go get a cup of coffee. And I'm like, okay. I go, okay. You think that's funny? So I'm like, okay. I was doing all the breathing techniques and Lamaze, and I was going through contortions. And Lois just wasn't really into that, you know. So I, I start to follow the nurse out of the room, and I get to the, to the door, and I hear this demonic growl. Don't you dare leave this room. <laughs> Sound like Clint Eastwood, you know. Well, I was like, is that voice coming out of Lois? I'm like, she's not feeling well today, so I'm, you know, flexing my verbal muscles here. But so, so I go back, and I stood dutifully by her side, and she waded through the jaws of death to bring this most wonderful life into the world. And happy was no way to describe what happened after that. Oh, happy. Wow. I remember when Hope was born. I was old then. I was 40 when Hope was born. And I understood what I was getting into then better. Oh, I just couldn't wait to see her face. I didn't want to go to work. She had little hair, little tiny hairs on her face. You could see if you held her up close. I didn't want her to give her away. There's such joy. There's no way for a man's heart to describe the joy of God in heaven, giving you a little person that looks kind of like you, kind of like her, the product of your love. Oh, what an amazing thing. There's such joy. It's unbelievable. You almost can't describe that kind of a joy. But you've got to go through some serious sorrow to get there. Jesus is saying that's what it looks like to be a Christian. And then he says, therefore, you now have sorrow. But I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask, the Father in my name, I will give it to you till now. You've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Full. Jesus is the one who gives fullness of joy. All the other joys are this little temporary trinket substitute. They really won't make you fully and completely and happy and satisfied. Interesting, isn't it? There's back to the catechism, right? Glorify God, enjoy Him forever. But you can't glorify God unless prayer is there. God says prayer, right? John 14. John 16, you can't be fully happy unless you pray. That's what John 16 is saying. Prayer is a part of that. It's, sometimes it's a subtle part. Sometimes it's, you don't even really realize it. It's like, like, again, forgive me for this one, but you know, if, you, if you're going to show love to your wife, you can't do it without talking. 
There has to be some kind of communication. You've got to write something. You've got to say something. You've got to communicate in some way. And there are a variety of ways. But if you say, well, she just knows it. I don't communicate it. That doesn't cut it. It doesn't work like that. And we can't glorify God without prayer. There's prayer will be in there somewhere, whether it's just giving praise to God or asking God for strength to do what we can't do so that he gets honored. But prayer is a part of that. Think about it. never happens. God isn't glorified unless prayer is involved there somewhere. And you are never going to be joyful, happy, satisfied unless prayer is involved in that somewhere. These two here. There's another example from John 4. Woman at the well. Remember that? Take a look there. You're close. John 4. John 4. Verse uh, 10, this is Jesus talking to the woman at the well. Remember this? And, and, the, and Jesus answers, verse, uh, verse 7, A woman in Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, He says this, I'm going to paraphrase it. If you had any idea who I am, you would be asking me for lots of stuff. <laughs> Isn't that true? If you knew the gift of God, if you understood the generosity of God, if you had the foggiest idea how good and generous God is, he said, if you understood the gift of God and who it is who asked you give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. That's really something, isn't it? It's not true just with salvation. It's true with lots of stuff. If you know Jesus, if you know how generous God is, how eager he is to give you the really good things, and if you know the gift of living water that, will never make, that you'll never wake up thirsty again, he said you would be on your knees asking me for stuff. So the opposite is true, right? Why don't we pray? We pray because we think we can be happy without it. We pray because we think that we can do what we're meant to do in life, without praying but we can't we can't glorify god without praying we can't be joyful without praying and if we had any idea about how weak we are and how great this our own weakness is displayed in john 15 remember where he says without me you can do very little yeah right nothing it was a misquote wasn't it without me you are a paralytic you are like flat laid out you can't budge you can't move you can't do anything without me spiritually you can do nothing wouldn't that make you think, okay, wait a minute, if you get that in your brain, and if I get that in my brain, it would kind of bump our prayer life up to the next level, wouldn't it? I'm like, wait a minute, there's nothing I can do. So I talk to, I am weak, he is strong. That make me want to ask him, Jesus, will you help me here? I can't do it. It's when we think we got it covered that we don't pray. And we lose our grip on that, we lose our place in that way. Or when we believe, and of course you understand there are dark forces at work, right? that would keep us from believing this. For all of us, every one of us, God has a wonderful plan for your life, and Satan wants to snuff you out. He wants to kill you. He wants to take you to hell, every one of you. He's got a plan. He's going to offer it to you. So now, um, I, I need some help. I want to, I want to, uh, I had a pastor acquaintance had a good idea. did this the other day. I thought, well, that's not a bad idea. I have my wallet with me here today. And what I want to do is I want to swap what's in my wallet with maybe one of you. Whatever's in your wallet, you can just, like, trust me. Okay, whatever. <laughs> I'm looking at my colleagues. They're like, not me, man. Don't talk to me. <clears throat> Whatever's in my wallet, okay? And I just wonder if anybody here will not trust me. What I'm going to ask for a volunteer. Like, you give me whatever's in your wallet, and I'll give you whatever's in my wallet. Is that a deal? Okay, i got a hand back here. Who else would be willing? Yeah, I'm finding who my real friends are. Paul, yes. I'm looking for somebody that looks like, Jeff, you look like you have a lot of, come up here. Would you, do you mind just, yeah, Jeff, I, I, let's see what's in Jeff's wallet. Mm. 
<laughs> Did you like, do you have a, now first of all, before we do this, do you have a secret compartment in your wallet? No, you're honest. Kill him. Let me have what's in your wallet and just give it to me. And then I'll give you what's in my wallet. Okay? What do you have? Oh my goodness. It's cash. <laughs> 20, 40. Oh wow. Did you know this? Did you know we had these packing this kind of 20, 40, 60, 70, 80, 90? Oh my goodness. You got like $100 here. God bless you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, now I'm going to give you what's in. Oh my. Mine's empty. But thanks a lot, no Jeff. God bless you. You have a great day. No secret compartment? No, hey, listen. I do have a secret compartment. That's true. This is set up, you know. I call, Can you imagine this phone call? I called Jeff this morning. I said, hey, can you bring somebody to church this week? You can sit back down now. I'm sorry, Jeff. Thank, give him a hand. That was nice of him to do that. <laughs> yeah, you, now you think for just a minute. How many times has it happened to you in your life? Every day, right? The devil goes, come here. Let me, let's make a deal. I'll just give you up. Uh, he, he, he makes all kinds of promises, big, flowery promises. He's got advertising agencies working for him. He's got movie companies working for him. He's got television programs. I'm not naming them, but he's got television programs. He's got the, the most beautiful women, right? He does, yeah. He's got them working for him. Men are idiots, you know. Hey, let's go to the boat show. There'll be girls without clothes on there. Oh, there, I just killed your going to the boat show now, didn't I? <laughs> it's some, you know, and guys, we're, we're idiots. Like, we'll go, oh, yeah, I'm going to buy a power tool. There's a girl with no clothes on. You know, the, I'm sorry, I'm in church, I should be careful. But you know what I'm saying, right? And you're, you're, and you're like a land of the slaughter, you know? You just kind of wander in there, and he goes, this is going to make you happy. And you go, okay, whatever's in my wallet for whatever's in your wallet. And every time he leaves you with empty hands, every time... Jesus will never leave you with empty hands. He'll never leave you with an empty heart. And you are made to honor him. You are made to glorify him. And that's not going to happen without you communicating with him, praying. And let me tell you how else it happens. It, it happens when we get on desperate times. This is the way some of us think, oh, wow, things used to be better. Man, this used to be a hub of, you know, automobile. Detroit, Michigan, man, is, the, is literally the hub of the wheel. Is a prosperity. We're rolling here. It's like kind of not that way. It's desperate times all over the world. And even in our backyard, it can be like, kind of like, wow, these are not good times. I used to have more money than I have now. I used to be able to get more hours. I used to have overtime. I used to be able to have a little, you know, room to move around. Now it's like, man, every time I go to work, I wonder if they're going to call me in and who they're going to let go. It's really like a difficult, right? And it might be that for you. Maybe with you, you know, with you, it's, it's the marriage is really hard. That's really common, right? Just the, the thing that you hoped marriage would do for you, it has not ever done. And you can't really say that openly, but in your darkest part of your heart, you just think, wow, that, that, that one's supposed to look like this. One, one's supposed to work like this. Or your kids have disappointed you, or your dad has disappointed you. And it's those times, those desperate times, that we're most vulnerable to somebody with an empty wallet coming along going, hey, try this, Right? But that's, what, that's, where Psalm, that's where Robinson Crusoe's text comes in, Psalm 50, verse 15. Right? It's, it's in the evil day. It's when difficulty comes, when heartache. Then we call upon him, and he delivers us. And what do we do? And what do we do then? 
So, look up Psalm 50:15. Open it up and go ahead. Look it up. Psalm 50:15. Call on to me in the day of trouble, and I will I will deliver you, and you will you will glorify me. That, that it's, it's, it's not so mystical how we glorify God. Here's the way it works. He sucks us out into deep water, and then we cry out to him because we're going to drown if he doesn't deliver us, and then he delivers us, and then we hug him, and we thank him, and we tell the neighbors. Hey, hey listen, folks. Folks, lately, recently, some of our folk have been going through the deepest waters imaginable to human beings. Somehow I just can't stand it when I think about it. I think, how could a person ever go through what God calls some people to go through? Infinitely beyond losing a job. How could a person live with this nagging hurt and emptiness or abandoned by their mate or divorced when the last thing in the world they wanted to be was divorced? How do they do that? Well, a lot of people, they just go off and they stop serving Jesus. But other people, other people, now the whole eyes of the world are trained on them. And they're basically saying, are you still believing? And quietly, with no pride, no spiritual, no, all the yuckiness is stripped away then. It's just a real person that's, that knows they're weak and knows God is strong, and that person is saying, I'm still trusting my God. I've tested him and I have proven him, and I've found him to be true, and I'm still living for him. Amen, Marie? You got a testimony? Go ahead. Yeah, God bless you. Right. God bless you, sister. You know, a whole church has been praying for you guys, and we're going to keep doing it. Roger and Marie lost their boy a little over a week ago. And their question is now, what about all the people we witness to? What about our family that doesn't know the Lord? Well, now they get to look at people who have been taken through the deep waters. Now they can really they can glorify God. Yeah, we came to my study the other day. Said I want to meet with you, and and uh, I thought they needed more counsel or uh, try to say things that would help them. But they didn't really come to take; they came to give. They said, "Brandon's last few dollars he had in his wallet and his last check. They're giving it to send kids to camp. About six hundred bucks. Six different kids are going to go to camp." With that, with that money, so God will be glorified. They haven't stopped believing. They've, they've been through horrible pain. They haven't stopped believing. When are you going to stop believing? When are you going to take an empty wallet for the exchange an empty wallet for the riches that Jesus would give you? In case you didn't get it, how is it that when we come to like desperate times or the end, how can we still be joyful and how can God be glorified? prayer. Talk to God. You, you, you remember the name Jeremiah Lamphere? 
Remember her? You probably have heard that name. He was a missionary with the Dutch Reformed Church in New York City. And back at about 1850, about 1855, 6-7, the, the, the financial markets went totally haywire. People were taking their lives. The economy was so messed up, 30,000 people in New York City alone, 30,000 men were without jobs, and the population wasn't what it is today. It was very desperate times. It, it, was, it was so hard, in fact, and for, the, for him it was even worse because he wasn't even a paid pastor. He was a missionary. He was supported by somebody else to try to get a dead church going downtown in New York, a, a, an old Dutch Reformed church. So you know what he did? He had a prayer meeting. He called a prayer meeting. Noon on Wednesday. As a matter of fact, I have what he wrote, the little flyer that he wrote. Let me just read it to you here. Here's what the flyer said. How often shall we pray? As often as the language of prayer is in my heart, as often as I see my need of help, as often as I feel the power of temptation, as often as I am sensible, made sensible of any spiritual declension or feel the aggression of a worldly spirit, in prayer we leave the business of time for the business of eternity and discussion with men, with discussion with God. A day prayer meeting is held Wednesday from 12 to 1 in the consistory building. In the rear of North Dutch Church, corner of Fulton and William Streets. This meeting is intended to give merchants, mechanics, clerks, strangers, and businessmen generally an opportunity to stop and call upon God amid the perplexities incident to their respective avocations. It will continue for one hour, but it's also designed for those who may find it inconvenient to remain more than five or ten minutes, as well as for those who can spare an hour. Sounds like he was just pretty much thrown together, this preacher going, well, let's just have a, have a, let's pray, let's have a prayer meeting. And did anybody come? At noon, there was nobody there but him. So here's this guy, city missionary, a bunch of empty chairs, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, 30 minutes, noon, September 23rd, 1857. 12.30, a step is heard at the stairs, and the first person appears. And then another and another and another until there were, finally there were six people present. The next Wednesday, inexplicably, there were 40 people there. First week of October, 1857, they decided to start holding the meetings every day instead of every week. Within six months, 10,000 businessmen were gathering daily for prayer in New York. 10,000. Within two years, a million converts were added to American churches. If you don't believe me, you can Google this. It's everywhere on the Internet. You can read about it. Undoubtedly, the greatest revival in New York's colorful history was sweeping the city. It was of such an order to make the whole nation curious. No fanaticism, no hysteria, just an incredible movement of people praying. And so that's why we have called a day of prayer. Not because we need bricks on our building. That's, that's kind of incidental to what God has called us to do here. It's because we see too many people around us that are satisfied with the devil's empty wallet when Jesus would, has poured out his life for them. It's because our prayer lives are too puny, too weak, too unsatisfactory. Am I right about that? And so in this... In, in this, um, in this uh, Message. I hope that these pastors will come back to mind, and and that you will you will realize 
that this, what is this one kind of key unspoken element to God's glory and your happiness? It's praying. It's praying like as you walk to the car in the morning and you hear the birds across the street. It's praying when you're tired of the news cycling over and over again, saying the same thing. Just turn it off. Start praying for the things where people are in distress. It's praying when your wife makes a beautiful meal and you sit down to it and you're overwhelmed by God's provision. You look in her face. You're grateful for her loyalty. It's praying when your son drives in and you hear the garage door open and he's home safe late at night. It's praying when you look and, yep, the money got in the bank account week after week, like usual. It's praying at those times. Yes, it is. It's praying when the bottom falls completely out of your life. It's praying when the garage door doesn't open up and your boy doesn't come home when he's supposed to. Or when you look down the other end of the table and you always thought there would be a woman there and there's no woman there. praying all those times and having fellowship with the Lord not just in spontaneous times of prayer which are so wonderful and ought to fill all of our days continuously but here's here's an appeal to you I say this with humility because I so long to have a deeper experience way deeper into the water but I'm the pastor I must say and that is to set aside time more than you have but not like a duty not like a drudgery not like a you know, not just like tack it on to all the other stuff you have to do, but to seek your joy in your life in God and to say, I'm going to do like I've never done in my life before. I'm going to listen to what God has to say to me. I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to find a little place under the stairs where every day I can take a quilt and just kneel down there. I'm going to build a little bench and cover it with carpet. And I'm going to go there. I'm going to take the missionary prayer book and I'm just going to pray. And at first it's going to seem like I pray for hours and 10 minutes is going to be passed and I'm going to feel like a baby Christian and that's okay. Where am I headed with the message? Let me be very direct with you in case you didn't get it. You will glorify God and you will find joy, fullness of joy, when you understand that you are weak and He is strong and it makes you pray. And when you desire the fullness of life in Jesus Christ and realize of prayer. And so we're going to have some prayer meetings today, and we're going to have a wonderful prayer service tonight. It'll be different than probably, well, I know you've done things like this before, but it will be different than what we usually do. And so throughout the whole, and please don't stay home because it's going to be different, okay? You come, and I think you'll be pleased and blessed. When you come, and, and whether you pray out loud or whether you pray in your heart silently, God, the omnipotent God, can hear every whisper of your heart. You come in the service tonight, and what's going to happen is we're going to have a quietness as we come into the sanctuary. It'll just be a quietness, and as we, and we gather, we'll sing to the Lord. We'll pray to the Lord. We'll have little clusters of prayer all around here. In the whole service, it'll end promptly at 6 o'clock because there'll be other prayer meetings after, or 7 o'clock, because there are other prayer meetings after that. But it's going to be one hour of prayer that we give to the Lord tonight. And so I appeal to you out of loyalty and love for Jesus. Just, if you can, come tonight and spend an hour with your brothers and sisters and we'll just pray together tonight. It'll be a prayer service on, uh, tonight. And so I, I welcome you tonight to come. I'm going to close in prayer now, and we're going to go to other prayer meetings. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your precious word, your incomparable word. I have not done it justice. I will never do it justice. But, oh, is it fun to try and talk about your word. Lord, please make these things a reality in my own life. 
more than they even are now. Make them a reality in the lives of our men. The men of this church, make them prayerful men, I pray, God. Even if we are going through heartaches and difficulties and we make mistakes and we feel like we've landed on our face, God, cause us to call out to you. And then when you deliver us, we will glorify you. And you will be honored, I pray. I pray this would be true of the ladies of our church, true of the young people, the the boys and the girls and the young men and young women, that you would awaken them to the reality of spiritual things, that they would desire your glory, that they would desire their own joy through your glory, and that they they would begin to learn to pray. I pray there would be teenagers that would go home and say, I'm going to start praying, close the door, get on my knees, go out of my car, listen to, the, to praise music and sing to the Lord with my, with my heart uplifted to God. I pray, God, that you would stir up in the hearts of your people a great affection and love for you. And even throughout this day, as some of us set aside food, as some of us set aside other time for you, Lord, see that our hearts are longing for you. And I pray that you would meet with our church. And, and, and I ask your blessing now as folk are dismissed. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. If you need help, we can be helped to you. Let us know. We'll be waiting here at the, at the front. You're dismissed. God bless you.